Hey there, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Margaret Petrie, and this is Authentic Obsessions. The world is filled with prolific artists who have an obsessive hunger to create. Today, I'm bringing you my conversation with Benjamin Seaman, an artist and psychotherapist who divides his time between upstate New York and New York City. Ben and I met through a virtual artist group that a mutual friend put together. He's a great listener, he asks thoughtful follow-up questions, and he's interested in exploring the human side of a creative life. Ben's mid-century abstraction paintings contain signage, contemporary design motifs, and color palettes that reference 20th century printed materials. I was really surprised to learn that being a therapist used more of his creativity than being an art director at the Wall Street Journal. Although Ben is obsessed with typography and personal finance, most of our discussion revolves around his obsession with the evolutionary process. Our conversation ranges from potatoes to monkeys and watching the breakthroughs in your thought patterns. He shares how getting started is an everyday battle and what he does to show up. Check out the show notes for links to Ben's work, the Brooklyn Sketchbook Project, Paper 53, Art in Fear, the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance, and Internal Family Systems, as well as all the other artists that he mentions. And of course, you can see Ben's art on the episode page of the Authentic Obsessions website. Check it out. It's really beautiful. Of course, I want you to follow me on Instagram at Authentic Obsessions. But what I really would love is for you to share the podcast. Because this is not about me, it's about a community and sharing the stories and experiences of all these other artists. So if you like this episode, if it resonates with you, if you think someone else would appreciate it, please share it with a friend. And please subscribe and leave a review because that's how people will find us. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the generous Ben Seaman. Ben, I'm so glad to see you. Thank you for being on the show today. You're so welcome, and I'm so glad to be here too. Good, good, good. Hey, let's start this out uh, by talking a little bit about your creative path. But tell us how you got where you are today. Yeah, so um, I had this thing in high school where I got into an arts magnet program, and I was very lucky. I had a great time. But I had also, I was also a teen runaway, which I haven't told a lot of people. And magically, I found a therapist and I was working uh, in a restaurant waiting tables. And this therapist gave me a really low fee and he was making life understandable for me. And I was very much like, I want to do what you're doing, but I'm also liking the art that I'm doing. And I was really stuck, like, what path should I take when I go to college? Really amazingly, I was I had these art teachers in that school that looked after me and one of them called me up one day and said the Art Institute of Chicago is coming this Saturday and I'm going to come pick you up and drag your paintings down here and we're going to have you talk to them. And I was like half asleep having worked till like two in the morning at waiting tables and I was like, okay. Oh and gosh. this woman showed up, Anna Bresnik, and who's still a working artist in New Haven, Connecticut. And we went down there and this guy interviewed me from the Art Institute of Chicago and said, we'd like to offer you a scholarship. So that kind of settled it because I, did, I hadn't applied to other schools yet because I didn't have my act together yet. So off I go to the Art Institute of Chicago. That was an amazing ride. But when I got into the world of work after art school, which that's a whole long story, there was a point where I started to go, this is 
not giving me everything I want, trying to be an artist and work at the same time. And it kind of hit me, you know, therapy is this thing that actually you can make a living. So I took a break from art and went into therapy and I actually found therapy was full of creative moments. And it, for a long time, I told myself, well, this is my art form. When I started to turn 50, I started to go, are you really going to turn 50 and not be making art? I was on a website, as I told you before, um, looking at Brene Brown, who was amazing. And the, the illustrations on her website were so amazing that I just clicked on them and said, what, who did these? And it was this guy, Nicholas Wilton. And I saw that he did workshops. And I said, well, for my 50th birthday, I'm going to take his workshop. I think his workshop taught me more about art, especially art making, more in one week than I got in six years of art school. And it just opened me up again and it became imperative that I have to make my art. That was four years ago and now I'm on that journey back to making art. Wow, that's wonderful. Okay, I got to go back to something you said. You said therapy is full of creative moments. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, okay, so for instance, um, you know, sometimes you have, a, like I work a lot with couples and you're working with a couple and you start off going, I really like these two. But then you find out where their polarities are and you're like, I'm really liking the feminist woman in the room and the husband's a grouch <laughs> and I have to be on both their sides. So I'm going to have to really like stand on my head to figure out what his world is like. And then you do. And, and when you can stand on your head and get inside his world, so can his partner. And then the partner can go, oh, I see why this is so frustrating for you. And that's what makes the therapy go forward. That's a piece of it. Right. Sort of reframing, looking at it from a different perspective, yeah. which is what you have to do when you're creating. Totally. Yeah. And then there's just moments that are like, someone comes in with something that like, you just can't think of any words that would help. So you come up with a creative solution. So for instance, I have a client right now who's in a real jam right now, but we decided to work on a sketchbook together. It's the kind of thing they would tell me not to do. Like, this is a boundary crossing or whatever, but I'm sort of like, I'm 54. I can make my own rules. And so we both ordered a Brooklyn sketchbook. I did that. Project. Cool. I so love that. So we're working our way through it together. And it's, it's helping him with his isolation. He's, you know, a person who's single and in lockdown. And this is giving us like a sort of project to go to, through together. And my creative blocks we talk about together. And so it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, to do things. So in between art school, being a therapist, you did have some jobs in the art world. I did. I, I was very lucky. I had moved to Latin America after art school because my partner was from El Salvador. And El Salvador was a great place to make art as a person right out of school because it was so inexpensive down there. But coming back to New York City, when that relationship ended, I was really like, I just have to do anything. And a job appeared that, the, that Dow Jones was looking for a Spanish-speaking graphic designer. And I was one of like three people that applied. And I just was like, I don't even know what Dow Jones is or Wall Street Journal or anything. But I went to the New York City Public Library and got a copy of the Wall Street Journal. And I made a replica of it in Spanish. And I just brought that to the interview and they said, you're hired. Wow. And all of a sudden I was the art director of the Spanish edition of the Wall Street Journal. What kind yeah. of stuff did you do for them? What so, does that job entail? You know the Wall Street Journal. It's yep. pretty dry. It's yep. probably, 
what led me to switch to therapy because <laughs> you don't get a lot of creative moments. But I did get to design. Um, we were already publishing. We started publishing in Latin America, but when they switched to the in Spain, they have a different shape of newspaper, and so they said we need you to just redesign this whole thing so it fits the Spanish newspapers, and so that's a little bit more shaped like the New York Post. So they let me kind of redesign that layout, and once in a while they'd just give me a whole page and say we're doing a special on petroleum. Do what you can with it, and <laughs> I could hire an illustrator and do some cool layouts. So it. It was art, but not that much. I think it's so interesting the way you just described therapy practice and art director for the Wall Street Journal. On paper, you would think art director, very (laughs) creative, super interesting. And therapy, yeah, but I feel like it's the totally opposite after listening to you. (laughs) Only the opposite. That's great. And I literally would be like, my first internship as a social worker, I was like, I can't believe... I get paid to sit and listen to people and come up with creative responses. This is so much more fun than the Wall Street Journal. That's great. I have to say the Wall Street Journal, it was an amazing place to learn Spanish because my Spanish was decent, but I was in uh, an editing room with people from all over Latin America and Spain and all throwing different versions of Spanish at me. And that it was, it was more like a linguistics job than a graphics job. That was immersion. Yeah, that was immersion. So tell me a little bit about your media. When I first met you, I figured you just had been doing art for 20, 30 years. But you've done digital and collage and painting and drawing. Yeah, doing a lot of things. Portraits. So I did the Nicholas Wilton workshop, and it was like my first time touching paint in a long time. And then I had to go back to real life, and I was like, I don't even have a studio. What am I going to do? And I found this app called Paper 53 that I could doodle on the subway to work. In about 20 minutes, I could come up with a doodle that would look on social media like a full painting. And I was like, okay, this gives me something. And I'll post it on Instagram and I'd get some likes and they would sort of tell that inner artist, you don't totally suck, do some more. Right. And I tried to do one every day and I named them things like Wednesday painting of joy and inspiration or Thursday painting of just keep on going. And I just sort of let that become this little trickle that trained me that I was an artist again. I don't know, it's like little by little just sort of sunk in. And there was a moment where I said, I have to start saying I'm an artist and a psychotherapist and not I'm a therapist dabbling in art. Mm -hmm. And I started sort of playing with how I say that to people and just got more and more real. Own it. You got to own it. Trying to own it. And the other thing that's been interesting is when I was in art school, all us youngins did was read art form and try to see which famous artists we could most tolerate imitating and <laughs> try to be famous as soon as possible so that we could pay the bills. And I wish someone had stopped me and said, Ben, you have the rest of your life to find out who you are. Try everything. But I didn't. And so now I, I saw, well, you already lived life without it. So try everything. So the past three years have been like, I'm going to really learn how to paint the figure. And I'm going to like try 10 different types of collage and just do all those experiments I never did in art school. Your portrait drawings, your figure drawings are amazing. Wow. Thank you. Oh my gosh. They evoke so many feelings. Like um, there was one of the, one of the two men walking on a beach 
and I could just see them. I could feel it. It was warm. Um, they seemed happy even though it was the back side of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was from behind. I don't know. They're beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Once you check Ben's Instagram account out, you will agree with me. Wow. Um, You want to paint 20 more. (laughs) Does it take you a long time to do those? So it's been interesting because I got started on those like 20 minute doodles that I could get like a bunch of likes on Instagram for. Right. And a figure painting is like, that's at least a day. And by the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I'm done with this painting. And yet it really needs another day worth of work. Right. So now my struggle is like, how do I like balance the fun and the slog to create a finished painting? So that's, that's my current project is just, how do you like get all the way to the end of the painting without losing interest? All right, let's move into obsessions. Do you yeah. have an obsession? Well, I do. And I realized one obsession I have is typography. And I know that we'd also had talked about um, the evolutionary process, but then I was like, I actually have lots of obsessions. And one of them is totally from my graphic design life. I've been looking at typography forever. And this is why I loved Krista's work because she has the typography mm-hmm. in all her paintings and really into like just all the type forms and how you throw them together in collage and creates unexpected shapes. So that's definitely one. And you use some of that underneath some of your paintings, yeah. don't you? I mean, I can Absolutely. see some of that coming through. Absolutely. In the abstract stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about your other obsessions. So the other one that, I think this kind of permeates everything is I'm really into this idea that like, if someone says, I need you to peel these 100 potatoes, you start off and you're like, I wonder how am I going to get through this? And you start and it's a little awkward, but by the 10th potato, you realize if you hold it a certain way, you get through it. And then all of a sudden you're like, you have these advanced in thoughts that you figure out how to do the potato in like a second. And on the hundredth potato, you're like, I am a potato peeling master. And you're like at a new level. And everything from how I built my practice to how I grew from, I don't make art to now I'm painting figures. For me is this thing of, it would be easy to say practice, practice, practice. But what I think is so cool is this idea that you have these like um, breakthroughs in thought where you're like, oh, this, I've dominated this whole one level and all of a sudden a door opens and you're in this other place. And like my first figure I drew, it felt like lifting bricks. Like I just was like, ugh, I'm doing this because I want to, but it feels so laborious to even draw like a jawline or something. And now they just feel easy. And I sometimes I throw a mark down and it just lands in the right place the first time. And just, I'm fascinated with that. So does it happen with every new thing that you try, you go through the same process? Yeah, I I think it must be like that for everybody, but I just know that I have this extra part of me that stands and watches it and goes, how does that happen that all of a sudden my brain just went to this other place? Like, because I'm not aware of the wiring that's happening. I just see it, poof, next level. The hundredth monkey concept, have you ever heard of that? No. So there's this concept that, um, we're gonna talk about potatoes again. Apparently, monkeys didn't used to know that if you found a potato in the ground, you could wash it and then it wouldn't taste like dirt. And 
the monkeys were eating potatoes for centuries, maybe millennia, thinking, well, dirt's just part of eating the potato. And then apparently <laughs> all over the world, without them talking to each other, all monkeys figured out that you can put the potato in the stream and wash the dirt off and then the potatoes taste way better. And they never went back. And now apparently all monkeys know this. How? How did this happen? But it's one of these things that kind of makes you believe in intelligent design or something. Right. But it's it's sort of like we'll never go back to pre-agricultural life. Because that's just that's just what being human is, is that we farm things. And that's just a level we reached. Right. And, and that's just part of that evolutionary level thing that happens. I just think it's so fascinating. I can't get this out of my head, the thing about practice, practice, and then and then having sort of an aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. What you're describing. Sometimes I think it's just there all along, but we're not listening or, we're, or oh, other, things, other things are impeding us to pay attention to what's happening right in front of yeah. us. Yeah, that's and how then, I feel about my art school self. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know when you buy a new car and mm-hmm. you, buy a, you, you, buy a, you buy a white Ford Mustang, who buys those? Um, <laughs> and you see white Ford Mustangs everywhere you look. Oh, now when I do collage, I notice that if I cut this certain shape, it evokes a certain feeling. So now I'm cutting yes. that shape and I'm seeing that shape everywhere in my life. Like oh, yeah. in nature and at the grocery store and yeah. in someone else's house. Yeah, that, it's probably I think that's a combination of things. I saw that you were doing a hundred day project. Yeah. You're still doing that? I made it to about 15 days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, never mind. <laughs> but you know what? I, I got a great tip from a teacher I'm working with right now. Um, he said, he was saying a lot of people love to put these, uh, you know, a drawing a day for a hundred days things out there. Right. And he said, it's way more interesting to say, I'm going to make a hundred paintings by the end of August. And then you can have a day where you're like, I'm not into it. And you haven't screwed it up. But if you've committed to one painting a day and you just aren't into it one day, you've kind of like lost the game already. And he said, it's just way better to have the freedom to be like, okay, I can make up for yesterday by doing five and I'll be a little ahead. And I know I still have all of August to get the 100 in. So right. I'm just sharing that with anyone who's failed at 100 days of collage or whatever. I think that's totally valid. The thing that I did a 100-day project, and maybe the trick is to make it so small totally. that it's doable. Yeah. And it gave my day a start, just like in the morning. I totally. get up and I do yoga and I meditate, eat breakfast, and then I walk. And then I do this. I do my collage yeah. and it was so fast. And I mean, really, it, I only gave myself 20 minutes or something to do it. So it wasn't right. a huge, I wasn't doing a giant painting every day, yeah. right. um, but it, it was just one more thing in my routine that I could count on. And then I was creative already that day. And if oh, I didn't do anything the rest of the day, I'd be like, you know what? I, I produced this thing. Yeah. doesn't matter how long it took. And I got kind of addicted to it. Oh, I love it. It was well, an excuse. Awesome. Yeah. And did you have other projects going at the same time? Yeah, well, always. You know, okay. I, have a, I have a day job, so that kind of gets in the way of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yes, I was going kind of strong on the hundreds, and I have, was doing it like a little doodle every day to keep mm-hmm. it small. Mm-hmm. And then I had a poster contest I was entering, and that just took over. 
Right. It, it, too, it required too much of me to remember to do that daily. But I bet I could set it up that there's a daily thing that's always waiting for me. I couldn't do it right now. I have too much going on right now. Yeah. Timely things. If I have deadlines for things, then I have to be pretty careful about what I take on. If it's yeah. just my own art that I'm doing and it doesn't, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm doing commissions for anyone, but with deadlines, I, I have to be careful what I commit to. I saw that you posted a quote by Chuck Klosterman. Uh -huh. right? Art and love are the same thing. It's the process of seeing yourself in things that are not you. Mm -hmm. Tell me why yeah. that resonated with you. I think I maybe know. as a therapist, I'm always thinking like, how can I get out of my own head and see things from someone else's point of view? So it's, it's sort of, I'm always in that thing of like getting into different head spaces and, and seeing yourself in there. So there's an empathy piece or an authenticity yeah, I guess piece. there's an empathy piece there. And then I, I guess there's also just, um, I think of like vision boards I've done where you just slap stuff up there, but then you find out, oh, I really like high contrast shapes floating in front of nice backgrounds. Or, and you're like, that's me to just look for bright colors and high contrast and mm -hmm. start to see it everywhere. You offer a workshop called What's Right With You? Accessing Creativity, Connection, and Confidence for Gay Men. Yeah. What if you knew how to access confidence whenever you needed it? This workshop will show you how getting in touch with your parts can help restore a sense of aliveness, possibility, and ease so you can be your best self. I am not a gay man, but I would love to take this workshop. This you know sounds what? really cool. I need to just do the Tell workshop me about it. everybody. Uh, full credit, I did this with Derek Scott, who is mm -hmm. a... Uh, teacher of internal family systems, which is a type of therapy I'm trained in as well. And basically internal family systems says, when we're at our best, we're in confidence, curiosity, we're calm, we're connected, we're clear about things. And all the different demands of life activate different parts of us that try to manage those situations in our life. And we can easily kind of get caught up in the management of that and lose touch with our basic self. So this whole workshop was about how to first just notice all those parts. Because if you think about it, if I say I'm upset, we start to identify with upset. And then upsetness isn't a place to make art from or do anything creative from. And this process of therapy is about saying, the upset part of me can sit over here. And that lets me go back to being me. And this is why you see a lot of get started with your art things have something that lets this, the upset part of you express itself. So there's a really great exercise where you just write your, all your negative thoughts on a canvas. And then you just paint over them in the brightest colors you can find. And then you keep painting. And it's like all those upset parts got to have their place on the canvas and then you get to just paint over them and you're free and now you're in motion and now your painting has started versus just sitting on the couch going as soon as i'm not upset i'll start painting right it's a way to get some forward momentum yes yeah but also embracing the upset instead of because usually right. what we do is we get mad at our our feelings and say i shouldn't be depressed i should take this pandemic in stride and Turn, turns into a fight with yourself. It's like extreme journaling. Mm, yeah. I journal. I write down, especially when 
my body starts to tense up and gets really mm -hmm. tight. I know that there are things that I need to get out. That's and great. what I realized is I rarely go back and read things. Yeah. And I also have a little PTSD from someone reading my journals at one point. So oh. I hesitate writing things down that anyone else could read. Right. What I did recently, I started writing on one page and I thought, I don't have to read this again. I can get the words out as quickly as I possibly can. So I took this pen that was very free flowing mm. and I wrote, and then I wrote on top of the same page and I wrote wow. over and over and over again on top. And it made this really cool pattern that I should do something cool. with, yeah. but I must've written five, six, seven, eight nights in a row on top yeah. of each other. Yeah. And now it's kind of that same thing, but I want to paint over it now. I want to do that on yeah. canvas. That's a really cool idea. Yeah. There's a, one of my posts on Instagram has a tiger in a circle. And that's a painting that has like a lot of negative thoughts written underneath all those layers. And it's, it's magical to me that, that uh, some of the type shows through and it's not as if it's all obliterated, but. Right. Well, and showing all the parts of you, it's not that anyone... You can't have joy without sorrow, right? You have to have all the parts. Yeah. So it's not trying not to have negative thoughts and emotions. It's just how do you yeah. live with those along with all the positive yeah. ones too? Oh, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm in a conversation with a friend of mine who who's also a therapist and we're in a little painting group together. And his thing is to touch his emotion and paint from that emotion. And as we're talking about, I'm realizing my usual technique is I need to get all my emotions calmed down and set aside so I can work. <laughs> and so I'm in this dialogue in my head of, should I be doing it more like him or should I be more myself or are we just in a dialogue or what? The idea of just making a painting about my anger feels so foreign to me, but I know if I'm upset, I have to address it. I can't pretend it's not happening. So, so do you get stuck in paintings? And yes. when you are doing, when you're creating something. So what do you do to get unstuck? So I thought, um, especially because I, I understand one thing that you want to talk about in this podcast is like the human side of things. Mm. And the, what I want to share with people, just my human journey about this in case it resonates for anybody. And that is that there is a 25 year old artist in me who is furious that I put down the paintbrushes and did another career for 20 years. And he's basically with me all day long going, why aren't you painting? You are supposed to be making up for lost time. But he's so immature and black and white and furious that instead of saying, hey, let's get going in a fun way, he's like, you are going to amount to nothing. And he's just brutal with me. I've been figuring out more and more ways to say, you're not getting anywhere being mean to me. You have to be nice to me and we have to have fun with this. So relax and let's do something silly and get started. But it's such a dialogue. And if something happens, you know, like I see a friend of mine from art school just got an award. He'll say, see, that's, that's what you did wrong. You should have blah, 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 blah. And I have to say, calm down. We're still going to get back in there. We're not a fraud. We're, we're the real thing. We're just different journey. And sometimes he wins. And I spend two hours looking at Facebook feeling really funky and never get to do art that day or more and more I'm getting to realize an hour of joy is worth way more than six hours of sulking. Showing up and just starting is such a battle. Yeah. Right? Once you're yeah. there, 
Time flies yeah. by. It really flies. Once I get started, I'm good. Can go hours, but getting started, it's a, it's a new battle every day. There's like this really tall style that you have to jump over or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, you right. know you're you're gonna go on the other side. Mm-hmm. But first you have to go through the field of cows. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yep. And get to the other side. So wait, did you answer the question about what do you do to get unstuck? Well, so my current project is I am drawing I'm painting hundred paintings by the end of August. I mentioned it. Uh, this is one of the things I love about my husband is he's sort of hears things and I don't realize it. And he came back from the dollar store with a a pad of paper with 36 sheets in it. That is just the size that if I cut them into three, it'll be a hundred. And the best thing is the paper is like real throwaway non-archival paper. So it's like, just get started and make things. And I already did two, set them aside and did four more. And it was so amazing that there was just stuff to get out of my system with the first two. And the next two have this much livelier, more playful, kind of more intelligent design to them. So I'm just so curious what the hundredth one will look like. And sometimes when you use materials that aren't expensive. Right, that aren't precious. And perfect and precious, yeah. It becomes less important. Totally. Because you've got to get through it. Yeah. So I think it was Seth Godin who said, success is the same as failure. I'm going to butcher this. Failure is the same as success. They're both on the same road. One is just further down. You're on the same road. You have to fail, 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 success. Fail, 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 oh, fail, yeah, fail, success. That. You know, I mean, you can't get to success without failing. There, there's no, yeah, right? Artist experiment. Yep. They try new things. That's what makes you an artist. Otherwise, you can't start from perfect. Totally. And do you know this book, Art and Fear? Yes. Remember the 100 clay things? That, yes, uh, yes. And it's funny because I've seen that story repeated with different content as if it was the original story. So who knows? Like maybe someone copied that and there's a thousand people out there telling the story with a different art teacher. Tell the story for people um, who don't know. There was a teacher who did an experiment. He had two ceramics classes and he told one class, you have all semester to work on a piece and that way you can just make the best piece you've ever made. And he told the other class, I want you to make a hundred pots by the end of the semester and you'll be graded on your favorite of those hundred. And of course, the people in the first class made these really overworked, precious, unimaginative pieces. And the ones that did the hundred found out all these things along the way. It's just sort of like the hundred potatoes and did really great work. That's a great book if anyone wants to pick up art and fears, just full of stories like that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Are there reactions or conversations you hope to spark in people when they look at your work? Yeah, you know, uh, one thing I really want to create for everybody is a you-can-do-it type of feeling. I'm a really big believer in wherever you are, you can get to much farther ahead than you think. I had an experience in art school where I had a work-study job across from the medical illustration lab. It was a classroom with lots of like a preserved hand in formaldehyde, um, (laughs) grasshoppers, tarantulas, all kinds of medical illustration subjects. And the first week of class, one kid put up a picture of a grasshopper that was like right out of the encyclopedia. And the rest looked like a five-year-old did them. And I was like, wow, they sure didn't, they didn't base admissions on drawing skill. 
<laughs> but every week, another student would pull ahead to the like encyclopedia level quality. And by the end of the semester, every student was posting the same illustration of the same object, but all like really encyclopedia level, ready to be published drawing skill. Even though I never really cared about drawing skill in art school, I just, that sunk in that you can do it if you apply yourself and keep at it, which that doesn't sound as profound as it should, but it's, I, I just hope that people can get from my story and from my art, just a sense of possibility. I look at your art and think it's similar to other artwork that I've seen, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. There are components of it that make it just Ben's. Like I can look at it and say, this is Ben's art. Wow. That's great to hear. Which I think is, I mean, that's what, that's what I would like. I would like people that's to look at I my want, art and yeah. say, that's Margaret's art. Yeah. It's not like, oh, oh, that's that woman who does art like this person. Right. Your art is, has its own unique look. Very recognizable. That, that took a while yeah. <laughs> to get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have this um, sort of inner critic that says, you've got to figure out one way to paint and settle down but I am more and more hearing that all my stuff seems to hang together as one artist. It just so. has to come from you. Yeah. You can't try and be someone else. It just has yeah. to be you. Yeah. You're the only thing that's original in this world. Mm -hmm. Is there something that you're aching to change in the world? God, yes. One thing I really, I'm just so aggrieved and obsessed and concerned with is racism. And I think it's the top issue in the world almost right now. And I see racism as the concrete manifestation of greed because it was created to help some people get richer. And there's a lot of things out there that need to get better. We need to treat people with disabilities better. We need to treat women better. There's so many groups of people that need something better from this world than what they're getting. But I, I feel like racism is the, at the top of that list. You seem to be pretty active in the community and trying to do your yeah. part to help. It's very hard to figure out what to do. Most people that turn on to this, uh, I feel I don't do enough. I am trying to balance it with, we all need to pick a little bit and do it. And if all of us do a little bit, that's way better than a couple heroes doing amazing things and the rest of us being complacent. I'm doing talks on how white people can do better. And uh, if anyone's interested, I'm doing a white people talking about white guilt talk uh, this Thursday to just give white people a space to sort of muddle through um, getting over their own blind spots. So yeah, that's a big one for me. And I really struggle with what my art should do about it. I just did a poster for a, it's a benefit for the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance. And I did a poster called Black Campers Matter. And this poster auction happens every year and the theme is Riverfest. So I always try to do a kind of a river outdoorsy theme to it. But I was, the whole Black Lives Matters thing was really popping um, this time around. And I just started Googling black camping and black people fishing and black people boating. And I found all these stories about black people trying to go camping and getting hassled. You wouldn't believe, like, I have black friends who say, white people come up to them and say, are you fresh air people? as if black people couldn't make it to a hiking trail by themselves without a nonprofit helping them, to really horrible things like people chasing black people out of parks because they think they shouldn't be there. And yeah, and so I was just like, amidst all the other stuff that's going on, I just thought I'm gonna do a poster to try to raise awareness about this topic. I'm guessing from your reaction, you may not have even heard of this. You know, it wouldn't like, occur to me that that was a thing. 
right? Because but that shows my own ignorance and bias and privilege, I suppose. Yeah, and you know, like it's um, which I don't think makes you wrong. It's just it's a huge blind spot because unaware us, us white people just walk into the woods not thinking about it. And I have a black friend who's a yoga teacher who says to me, like, can you believe I don't get to participate in nature and I'm about yoga? Like, how crazy is that? You know, like half of the rural spaces in the U.S. have people hanging Confederate flags off their front porches, even here in New York. So it's, it's like the nature isn't broadcasting black people are welcome here the way it could. So that's one way I've tried to do something with my art about it. It feels like almost just a token type of signal. But I hope that by having these conversations, because it's like the poster turns into a conversation like we're having. Mm -hmm. So now you've had an awareness about it and you'll hopefully spread that to other people. I mean, I know you will. Absolutely. Um, That's one way I'm thinking about art doing stuff. And sometimes I just think the world just needs beauty in it. And maybe art isn't meant to solve all the world's ills, but I don't know, it's ongoing dialogue. I think if art makes someone's day a little brighter, that's pretty good. Yeah. This teacher I'm working with right now, his name is Pete Hawking, told me a story about the same question and black woman he was working with um, saying that it really wasn't the artist's job to decide what type of beauty black people need and that he should just, I'm grossly paraphrasing, so forgive me, Peter, that she was saying, just make your beautiful work and let us black people decide whether it's good for us or not. You know, you have people really doing really important political work like Shepard Ferry or Picasso's Guernic is a famous one. Carol Walker's doing amazing um, work that critiques racism in really interesting ways. Tell me a little bit about your support system when things get tough. Who or what do you rely on? I love this question because I had a client a long time ago who was just talking about his stuff and he says to me, so naturally I didn't know what to do. So I called my cancer five and we just went and I said, wait, 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 you're cancer five. What are you talking about? And he says, oh, I didn't explain that to you. I have five people that are the people I would call if I got cancer. That just struck me as so clever that I started sharing with other clients that we all need to know our cancer five. And I, I took that idea and I started to think about who in my life would I say, I love you at the end of the phone call. Cause that's something that from my Connecticut wasp background, there was love, but we didn't say, I love you. That was like, something you might write at the end of a card. You wouldn't say it out loud. It almost, there's a part of me that still cringes to say it out loud. But I started to really press myself to say I love you at the end of phone calls with friends and see who I got I love you back from. And it, it just sort of shifted the list around until I had a new list of people that are like, I don't really love saying cancer and giving it any energy, but I think of them as my team that, I can call and say, like, you know, like when 2016 happened, the, a bunch of us just ran to a restaurant and had a debrief <laughs> cocktails. Right. <laughs> what are we going to do? And that was a moment. And then when the pandemic happened, similar situation of Zoom calls very quickly, like therapists teaching each other how to even work on Zoom, sort of assembling your trauma team um, to figure out how to do with this new normal. I agree with you about the cancer five, though. I'm not sure I yeah. want to give cancer the energy. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and I'm kind of free with the I love yous, so I don't know. i got to find something Great. in between. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about your studio space a little bit? Sure. So it was just my iPhone 
until uh, <laughs> on the subway. <laughs> yeah. But then I started entering little art contests and uh, it was the dining room in my weekend house. And then I finally just said, this is ridiculous. And, and told my husband, I need the basement for myself. So he gave me the, this room that is full of light and it's a beautiful place to sit, but it's rather small. And so I actually had, I called my accountant, talk about privilege, but I called my accountant. I said, I need a way to pay for the construction of a studio that's tax deductible. And she figured out, and she said, we can do it and it'll cost you $500 a month. And I said, I went back to Tom and said, this studio we're going to build, it's going to cost $500 a month. And that's better than a thousand plus rent in New York City. So what do you say? And he says, okay, so the construction plans got put together and it was all going to happen. And then this pandemic happened. And so that got shut down and I couldn't really whine and complain about it. I just had to say, you're lucky you have a weekend house buster. So go down there and start making some art in the studio that you have. And there it is. It's just a table and some windows that look out at the woods. There's not even a wall space to hang a painting just because of the structure of the house. It's a room that's three walls of windows. And so I'm just in there, it's just a little table and I'm making it work. And mm-hmm. right now I'm just here to tell you, you can make your art on a, in a little table and that's what it's going to be for now. Art's not even going to be in galleries for a long time right now anyway. So right. maybe it's not working small till the pandemic is over. Is there something that you have in your studio that you can't live without? Bright lighting. I, got, I, have, two, I have double sets of lights, both recessed and track lighting. So it's really huge, bright light in there. That makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Of course, tons and tons and tons of paint. So never feeling cheap or precious about paint. Do you have a uniform? Is there something special you wear when you go? I yeah. do. I have a Ben Sherman. I think you've seen me wearing the shirt. It's a Ben Sherman shirt with the Union Jack on the front and a pair of jeans that's just covered with paint, which is uh, just what I wore in art school. Is there a feeling you get when you go and you put on that those clothes? Yeah, Does something totally. change in you? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's permission. You know, I had this therapy life where I tried to preserve my nice shirts and not get paint on them. But but it, it does sort of say, okay, you're open for business once you have that, that outfit mm-hmm. on. I like to talk about the physicality of the work. Some, yeah. some people do art shows or they used to do art shows and haul stuff around. People work really big or really small. What happens after you've been in the studio for a while? How do you take care of your physical body? No one ever talks about this, but the work that I do, when I'm done, my arm hurts, my back hurts. I have oh, to wow. do you know, yoga and stretch. And, yeah. and I'm just curious how other people approach that. My wonderful husband, Tom, Tom's getting so much love in this call. He Tom is. <laughs> actually found an ergonomic office chair in a, kind of a throwaway pile someplace and brought it home and said, I think this is for your studio. It's pretty interesting because I would never have thought to to bring an office type chair to a studio because I would think I want something I can get paint all over. Right. And it was so freeing to just go there. I'm going to get paint all over you because you're my chair now. And that helps a lot. I'm lucky that I, I find like eight hours of painting in a row. I don't get stiff. I think I'm sort of always shifting around and mm-hmm. rotating things. But as far as physicality, I'm really into gestural brushstrokes and even in a little six by six painting i love the feeling of a brushstroke that feels like it flew out of my hand and landed right in the right place like john singer sergeant i'll never paint like singer sergeant but boy do i love how his paint just lands and says 
I got it right on the first stroke. That's my favorite thing in a painting is that that stroke looks like it just flew there and knew where to go. Yeah, that feels like it just comes from deep within. Yeah, just like pure. You're not trying too hard. Right. And that's something I try to go for. If anything ties my work together, it's the feeling of a brushstroke that's just like lust and desire and energy and joy. Tell me about your relationship with social media. Such a great question because it's uh, it's sort of like very two-sided coin. I think social media is killing us and it's creating something so amazing at the same time. The idea that I can post something on Instagram and instantly get some feedback is so amazing. But I feel like I have to be so clear that self-worth is an inner game. And what I'm, the feedback I'm getting on Instagram is about the painting, not about me. And that it's just like another way to get a feedback loop going that's really useful. And I also apply that evolutionary concept to like, if you look at my Instagram, you can see those early drawings I've been talking about in this podcast go from like kind of basic to all of a sudden I was like, I bet I could draw a face if I try. And I, there was one moment in Black History Month about four years ago where I said, I'm going to do like as many portraits as I can this February. And I just threw myself into it and did like eight portraits of like Nina Simone and Gil Scott Heron and totally out of nowhere. And you can just see the leap from these abstract pieces that are kind of derivative of Nicholas Wilton paintings to boom, black people. They're beautiful. And here's my paintings of them. And then back to more abstract. And all that happened because there was a place to put it and get little bits of feedback from people especially Instagram where you can't post news articles unless you really try. It feels like it's really about the work. I am having an amazing situation with life drawing where a bunch of us who are in life drawing classes in Europe and the U.S. are all attending Zoom life drawing classes and then sharing our results on Instagram. And I'll see a model painted eight different ways on Instagram by my friends who are in these classes. And then models see my work and offered a model for me. And it's just turning into this online life drawing community that is kind of loosely held together by just the interest in the figure. Some of it's very formal, like this is our life drawing class. It's every Saturday from 10 to 12. And then some of it's just crossover of artists seeing each other's work and I'm complimenting them and they're saying, have you seen this person? And it's like, it's like a little village online getting me through the pandemic. I've really noticed that I've had to reframe my idea of community and what I thought I needed. Yeah. I've been talking about this a lot lately, mostly because I'm doing this podcast and I cannot mm-hmm. believe how much energy and satisfaction I'm getting from talking to someone over Zoom. What I've been telling myself is technology, bad, mm. you know, social media, bad, stay off your phone, bad, all of that. And I work at a computer all day. And so being in an art studio feels so different from that, except it was really lonely for me. Yes. And and I don't want to be around a lot of people, <laughs> but I'm really lonely. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. In fact, I remember one of the things I loved about going from art to social work is I was no longer alone in my studio. You know, I don't know what therapy I need to figure this out, but just being by myself all day is not good for me. But being at large groups of social gatherings is also not my thing. So it's right. like, social media is like the right amount of uh, just enough contact to feel connected without feeling taken over by other personalities working for me. And I feel like Instagram is so clean, like you said. Yeah. You know, there aren't ads, there aren't 
it's not about news. It's not current events. Yeah. You can get outside of that a little bit. Totally. And if, if one can stop obsessing about how many likes they get, yeah. you know, if you get over that part, you know, the connections you make are amazing. One Absolutely. of my guests I met because she sent me a 15 second video. She DM'd me with this 15 second video saying, yep. congratulations on your podcast. Looks really cool. I can't wait oh, to listen okay. to it. And I reached yep. out to her and now she's a guest and now I have a new yep. friend from Finland. So, yep. I mean, how and cool how is you that? Through, you know, I met you through Megan the same way. And, yep. Yep. Um, I think there's huge potential, huge upside. Have you done any collaborations or partnerships? Oh my God, yes. Oh, tell me that about is those. A great question. So uh, I mentioned my art therapist buddy. His name is Sean Franchino. His Instagram is Sean Franchino Art on Instagram. Uh, it's S E A N F R A N K I N O Art. I did a uh, visit with him after a lot of discussion about our our exposure path and sort of making it pandemic safe. We hung out for a weekend and we did this experiment, which I challenge everyone to do, which is he had a bunch of 12 by 12 boards and we would paint for, I think we did 10 minutes at a time and then switch boards. He painted, I painted, and then we switched and I had to work with whatever he left me and vice versa. It was sort of like rapid fire exquisite corpse and we ended up with some paintings that, gosh darn it, I would never have painted on my own and neither would he. They came out really cool and what a great exercise to let go of what's in front of you. One of them is a wild blast of color that says, that has the letters, please don't hurt me floating in front of this crazy color background. I think they're on my Instagram. Uh, and then he, I think he did one that said, stick things inside me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that to the audience to decipher. It was just a great exercise. That was a, a really fun collaboration. And I would love to do more collaborations. Well, I just joined a male art collage group. And that is uh, a group. Uh, it's growing. It's like way over 50 people now. And there's a website that manages Secret Santa events. And the guy running it, his name is Tom Lass, H-L-A-S. And he teaches male art collage classes online. And once a month, we're going to get a name and address of someone who would like to receive an art postcard. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to start circulating art postcards. Uh, that's not exactly collaborating on the art, but it's, I know it's going to create some energy of some interesting type. That's cool. Do you know about the Collage, K-O-L-A-J magazine? No. It's for collage, yeah. C-O-L-L-A-G-E. And they're doing July, August, September, they're doing a ton of online exhibits and roundtables, talks, conversations. Fun. Super interesting. I'm look that up. And it's and it's all online. So people are doing things. There's been a lot more yeah. art talks, a lot more podcasts. Yeah. I think there's enough out there to feed our souls if we look for it. Absolutely. And reframe the way we think about community, I guess. Well, um, so Sean Frankino and I and this other woman, uh, Robin, who were all in the Nicholas Willem course together, we took a landscape course from Pete Hawking and we liked him so much. We just said, can we hire you? And we hired him to teach us a, like a 12 week course. Now we have a little pod of three people painting together separately, but then coming together for group chats and Zoom is making it all possible. I'd never be able to get up to Cape Cod to do the in-person course. I don't even remember where Robin lives. Sean is two hours away. 
there's a lot of things that are going to explode with this. You do a lot. You have a lot of little things on your plate. Sounds you're fun. you're digging in. Yeah. You should be, well, I don't know. I was going to say you should be proud of yourself. You probably already are. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, like you talk about how, you know, you waited so long to become an artist again. Yeah. But you're really digging deep and yeah. going full I, throttle. Yeah. I mean, on my best days, that inner 25-year-old is saying, let's do more. And I'm doing it. What else do you want to talk about? I know I can't wait to see your art in person. Oh, someday. I love the I love what you're doing. I love the uh, the geometrics of it, and it very much speaks to the repeat and vary and and see what happens. And I'd be so curious. Like, do you find on your hundredth design, are there little leaps that happen, or? Yeah, what happens? Like on the big giant collage grids, you mean? Yeah. Where I'm doing like 220 of them on one big piece. Yeah. I find myself wanting to go back to Mm. other little pieces and saying, this one needs a little something. They're hard to store because I don't want to roll them up because they're just on paper. Yeah. I have them hanging on pants hangers. I take two Uh pants hangers and tack them up to the wall. And as I'm walking by, there's one upstairs in our hallway. There's one downstairs in our living room. And as I walk by, I think that one square needs a little something. And I'll go Uh grab my glue and just a bunch of little tiny scraps and I'll find something because it just needs something. There are three inch pieces that I love that I Mm want to recreate. If I'm working in a color palette, you know, by the end, man, I'm so sick of it. And I never want to see magenta Uh and lime green again. (laughs) Uh And I can't wait to start the next one, mostly so I can start a new color. I am in conversations with someone about licensing my art. So cool. So that's exciting. Those little nibbles tell you you're doing something that works. So then you start to spread it out and see where else it might land. Well, and this guy is so passionate about my art. To hear him talk about my designs, I just get all jazzed up. I'm like, someone loves them. He's like, people are going to love these. We're going to put it on stationery and note cards, and we'll see where that goes. That that hits the circle because it's like, I think even though we paint for ourselves, we need to know that the notes are not flat when the audience hears them and that somehow the, the message is landing. What do you think about... I know there's some controversy about original art, keeping it original, doing prints, licensing your art anywhere from my design is on products from Target or it's on high-end mm-hmm. luxury goods or you just making prints. Right. People seem to have very strong opinions about that. Oh, I'd, I'd be curious what to hear think? what those are because I, f- I feel like the gallery system is so broken right now because it's, it's basically become this giant chasm that mirrors the economy that is a gallery is either showing emerging artists or they're showing Jeff Koons Mm -hmm. and the middle has just cratered. And a lot of galleries now are, they're still showing their artists, but they're not selling the artists and the artists. I have a friend who lived off his art for 20 years, had a, has a gallery in Chelsea, continues to show his work, but no one's buying because he hasn't had a machine, a museum show yet. So I don't fault any artist that says, I have to do something to get my art to an audience that is going to create some type of income. So if you put your stuff on a coffee mug and it pays the bills, I have no issue with that. And I don't consider that selling out as much as making your work democratic. Yeah, I think about accessibility. And I feel like the work I make is joyful. And if it resonates with someone, 
everyone should have it in their house, whether it's on a postcard or, you know, I don't want your finances to be a barrier to joy. I don't know. That's how I think about it. You know, I I don't uh, care. I want to get it out of my house. Someone take it. (laughs) I don't have room to store all this stuff. So I have a friend from art school. His name is Joe Mangrum. It's M-A-N-G-R-U-M. He's on Instagram and he does sand mandalas on public squares. Uh, So like Washington Square Park or Union Square Park. And he basically says, if you don't donate to me, I'm going to have to go into the gallery system where none of you will see this. And it takes him all day to draw one of these things. They're about 18 feet in diameter. He draws them out of colored sand. And they're huge and gorgeous and like nothing you've ever seen before. And people, uh, he's living on the donations from being out there doing these drawings. And bringing joy to people's day. Absolutely. And it's, it's just a wonder to come across his drawing and on your way to the farmer's market. And uh, all kinds of things have happened to him doing these things from, he said one day, about a thousand people in red dresses, both men and women, just ran up the street and across his mandala. I think he managed to stop them from totally destroying it, but it was some kind of weird event where it was like <laughs> a thousand red dresses event or something. <laughs> And they're just like two art forms colliding. But he got a spot on Sesame Street from doing this. And Dave LaChapelle did a video about him. Interesting. Uh, and he's got an installation work from museums and way more interesting than being stuck in some gallery that only rich white people will visit. I just found out on for people that know New York City, there's a bike path that goes all the way up the Hudson River side of Manhattan. And there is a huge gathering of cairns, which is like the stacked stones. Yeah, yeah. At around 145th Street or so. And I found out that neighborhood teenagers love to knock them over. And the guy that makes them goes back and redoes them every week. And people go and photograph these things and don't realize they're taking a picture of this week's cairns. And the neighborhood punks just keep destroying them and he keeps rebuilding them. And doesn't complain about it, doesn't call the police, just keeps redoing them. I'm having a blast doing this, I gotta say. Oh, good, good. Okay, Ben, I've got a series of rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Music, podcast, audiobooks, or silence? Music, Spotify playlists. What kind of music do you listen to? Uh, I'm really into chill and sometimes certain types of house and rap. But yeah, a lot of a lot of chill, like uh, Potiphar Avenir, all that kind of slightly melancholy chill out stuff. What is your comfort food? Uh, definitely tater tots and <laughs> croque madams. <laughs> Yum. Anything crunchy and cheesy and greasy. Describe a favorite outdoor spot. I would say um, most rivers. Oh yeah, for sure. Water. I'm lucky to live near the Delaware River. So we spent a lot of time rafting there, uh, crossing the river, some restaurants over the river. What would you do with a financial windfall? Oh my God, that is an intense question. I know. So it's interesting to bring this up because I have this closet obsession that I rarely tell people because I'm afraid of how it'll affect my brand, but I'm obsessed with personal finance, mostly because I was a, a... financial wreck until my 40s 
And now I, anyone asks, I know what to tell people about money. And I'll tell you this. Do you have time for a story? I do have time for a story. All right. So I was invited to give some workshops at a retreat. And I thought, well, no one will know. I'll do my personal finance workshop here. And I'll just throw something together. And I talked about this concept called 50-30-20, which is make your fixed expenses match 50% of your income and put 20% of your income towards retirement. And then the 30% left over, you can do anything you want with it. So that way you take care of your responsibilities and then you don't have to fiddle with budgets. You just have this pot of money you spend any way you want. And if you're spending more than 50% of your income on expenses, you have to change your life. And for anyone who's interested, you can Google 50, 30, 20 and read all about it. And I never talk about this stuff because I think money can be kind of gross and I don't want to be the therapist who's all about money, but a lot of people want to figure out how to manage their money. So I did this workshop and this guy comes up to me and he says, this was so helpful because I'm about to inherit $20 million and it is stressing me out. And now I know what to do. I'm just going to figure out what my expenses are. And somehow the idea of having different buckets to put it in told him he can handle this. I still, I don't think his expenses are now going to be $10 million. And I don't know, I don't know exactly what he's doing with it, but I like to think I would take a windfall and put it in buckets. But absolutely, the first thing I would do is just create a combination studio house work situation so that everything was all in one place. And I'd love to have a studio that once this pandemic's over, I can do workshops in person and maybe even do some podcasting from there, courses, whatever, anything that just keeps the art going. That's cool. And I appreciate the money tip. I would just want to create any kind of windfall I got. I would, I would want to see how can I create more time for myself? I appreciate you so much I for doing this. I appreciate you. So I appreciate your art. Thank you. Your candor. Thank you. And your willingness to go out in the world and do the parts that you can to make it a better place. I love what you're doing. And I know this is going to just grow into something amazing and with lots of surprises and fun in it. Well, I'm having a blast doing it. So I just want to get the word out there. I don't care about how many likes I get, but people need to listen to you guys. You guys are fascinating. Yeah. And you. Thank you. It's really fun. I can't wait to see where it goes. Bye.